Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. You can retain the right to disagree with any book you hold in your hand except the Bible. Because by inference, by implication, if this is the breathed-out Word of God, a word from the Creator, then you cannot afford not to listen, you cannot afford not to read, and you cannot afford to disagree. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, And today, Philip continues a message all about the Bible called The Good Book, where he helps us strengthen our confidence in the inerrancy of God's Word. If you missed a previous part of this lesson or would like to listen ahead, you'll find all the messages from the Without Apology series on our website, ktt.org. You'll also find them on the KTT app or podcast when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. But let's start today's message. Here's Pastor Philip. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 15 through 17. We're really going to focus on 16 and 17, but I want to back up into verse 15 because this is a seminal passage. This is a foundational passage. This gives us our understanding of God's Word, the nature of Scripture. And as I studied it, there's much to be learned. There's much to be gleaned. And I want us to have a firm footing in terms of our understanding of the Scriptures and the role that they play in each of our lives. It's a message I've called the good book. Let's read from verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Guys, you realize that the Bible is actually a compilation of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a time span of 1,500 years. Yet the amazing thing is there's one storyline. There's one unifying theme. There's one subject that holds it all together, and it's the story of God's love for us in Christ. If you miss that, you haven't understood your Bible. The Bible claims that the words that its various authors wrote were not original to them. Look at verse 16 of 2 Timothy. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The argument is, listen carefully, that the words that they wrote down were words that God breathed out, words that God spoke, words that were written down under the supervision and superintendence of the Holy Spirit. That's what's being taught here in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. You need to understand this, guys. The claim of the Bible is what we have in the Bible is God's own Word. 
a revelation of God's mind, heart, and will, plainly, objectively communicated in human language within history. A unique, perfect, sufficient record and revelation of God's mind and heart found nowhere else, and certainly not in any other book. That's what's being claimed here. That's what's being taught here. This is what Timothy is being asked to commit himself to. Timothy, you understand the nexus of Scripture because from a child, you've come to understand that the Bible, the Scriptures, are there to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Timothy, you need to commit yourself to this, that what you have in the Scriptures is God-breathed. Let's dig a little deeper. I want you to notice that All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. Two words stand out there. We'll take them one at a time. Scripture and all. You need to understand that it is Scripture that is inspired. The Greek word graphi gives us our words writing, So the writings are inspired. It's important to understand that the writers were not inspired. God didn't breathe into the writers His inspired Word. God breathed out His inspired Word. And under the supervision and superintendence of the Holy Spirit, they wrote out of their vocabulary that which God wanted to say. But it's important that you note that the writings are inspired, not the writers. All the writings, the secret writings as a whole, are God-breathed, inspired by God. Now, well, in the immediate context, that would speak directly to the Old Testament, because the New Testament was still being written and gathered when Paul wrote to Timothy. So when we read in verse 15 about the Holy Scriptures that led him to faith in Jesus Christ, it was the Old Testament. The Old Testament's about Jesus. And that which was promised was fulfilled in the New Testament. So Paul is speaking to the Old Testament being inspired by God. But let's be honest, ultimately, it will extend to and embrace the New Testament. I think one verse or two will help you with that. Would be Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2, and then chapter 2 and verse 3. God spoke in times past and in various ways through the prophets. But it didn't stop there. In these last days, he has spoken by his son. And when you go to chapter 2 and verse 3, that which Jesus spoke in the life that he lived and the death that he died, it was attested by the apostles who wrote God's word. And so while in the immediate context, directly, Paul is addressing the Old Testament as inspired and breathed out, that which was written by the prophets. By extension, we would embrace the words of Jesus Christ, the greatest revelation of the mind and heart of God and the record of his life and death and gospel through his apostles. Maybe one other example would be in 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. Paul talks about Scripture. He talks about how the workman's worthy of his hire and not muzzling the ox. And when he talks about Scripture, he's combining a quotation from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, and from Luke 10, verse 17. Also in 2 Peter 3, verse 16, 
Peter clearly regards Paul's letters as Scripture. In referring to them, he calls the Old Testament the other Scriptures. So all Scripture is inspired by God. Immediately we're talking about the Old Testament, but ultimately we're talking about the New Testament. It's important that you and I grasp that the Bible is breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit is the agent and the means by which this miracle takes place. He moves the writers of the Bible, both the prophets and the apostles and God's own Son. He governs the product. What we have is indeed God's Word, inerrant, pure, authoritative, inspired, profitable. For anybody that's a budding theologian, what we're talking about here is our belief as Protestants in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. What do we mean by that? That every word of Scripture is God-breathed. Verbal, the word plenary, complete. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, which leads us to conclude that the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And usually when you affirm something, you deny something in theological terms. If you look at old theologies and catechisms, they'll affirm something and they'll deny it. They'll deny something in the light of what they just affirmed. And when we affirm verbal plenary inspiration, we are denying natural inspiration. We're denying the idea that the Bible is an inspired book in the sense that men were brought to a place where they excelled and exceeded themselves and wrote something that was special. You know, a bit like we talk about Handel was inspired to write the Messiah. It's a piece of music that stands out. It's in a category all of its own. It was natural, but it was exceptional. And some people have the idea that's what the Bible is. It is a book written by men, but we agree it's exceptional. It's inspiring and inspired in that sense. Well, that's not how we understand the sense. The word inspired means breathed out, not breathed into. It's the writing that was inspired, not the writers. So that's what we affirm and that's what we deny. We also deny what's known as partial or conceptual inspiration. This is a theology that liberals use to say, you know, we agree that the Bible's inspired in its theology and its doctrine and in its theological ideas, but it's not very scientific. It's not true historically. So we can't trust the Bible when it comes to science and history, but we can embrace its theology. That's safe. That's what W.A. Criswell calls the leopard theology of inspiration, that the Bible is inspired in spots. But that's just not true. All, passe, all, every bit of it, the whole of it, is God-breathed. I like what one writer says. Some people want to believe that parts of the Bible are inspired and other parts are not, so they can choose which parts they believe are true. But if you believe part of the Bible and reject part of the Bible, it's not the Bible you believe, it's yourself. And when we affirm this, we're denying not only natural inspiration and partial inspiration, we're denying mechanical inspiration or dictational inspiration, the idea that the writers were kind of brain-dead were neutral to the process and basically just acted as a stenographer for God. Now, there are times that God just directly tells the biblical writer to write down what he says. 
but you can read the Bible and you can see the personality of each author. You can see that Luke, the doctor, uses particular Greek words out of the medical field. And so our doctrine of inspiration isn't a doctrine that believes that the Bible was just mechanically written down. These men wrote of their own vocabulary in their own day, reflecting their own culture. But as they wrote, they were moved in a mysterious, miraculous, supernatural way to record God's own word, which he breathed out and they communicated. Okay, let me run a couple of things by you by way of application just for a few moments. But as I thought about it, it implies certain things. First thing would be this, that the Bible is a different kind of book. The Bible is a different kind of book. The Bible is divine in origin. It is God's breathed out word. It's a word from the creator to the creation. God speaks generally and indirectly through the creation, but God has spoken specifically and directly through his word. You can look at Psalm 19 and see that, how the creation speaks day and night about the invisible attributes of God, his power, his order, his vastness. But then the law of the Lord is perfect. God has revealed himself specifically and directly in Scripture through the words of the law and the prophets and the Psalms about Christ. And so the Bible is a different kind of book. And therefore, you and I should desire it more than gold. Psalm 19, verse 10, we should consider it more necessary than our next meal. Job 23, verse 12, where Job says, I esteem your word more than my necessary food. The Bible is the only book we cannot disagree with. You can retain the right to disagree with any book you hold in your hand except the Bible. Because by deduction, by inference, by implication, if this is the breathed out word of God, if this is a different book, a word from the Creator about His Son, then you cannot afford not to listen. You cannot afford not to read And you cannot afford to disagree because this book is invested with the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's the supreme court of the Christian faith. It has the right because God has the right, and this is his word, to define what you believe and to tell you what you must commit yourself to and how you ought to conduct your affairs. great example would be the mother of the Lord Jesus himself, Mary, when she was told about the miracle of the virgin birth, said in a wonderful expression of submission, be it unto me according to your word. And then later on, remember at the marriage in Canaan, when they ran out of wine and Jesus tells them to go and get pots of water, she says in John 2, whatever he says, do. That's the heart of the true follower of Jesus Christ and the worshiper of God has come to see that God has revealed himself through a word contained in the scripture, which means that the Bible is a different kind of book, which means that the Bible is the only book you cannot disagree with. And finally, it would mean that the Bible is the book we must read first and foremost given that it is the inerrant, sufficient, authoritative revelation of the wisdom, plan, love of God, it ought to be at the top of our reading list. 
we must read it from cover to cover. You must make time for that. I must make time for that. This is the breathed out word of the living God. The God who existed before we existed then brought us into existence. The God who loves us despite our sin. The God who has sent his son to die for our sin. The God who has conquered death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The God who has a plan that will move inexorably to a conclusion. The God who knows the end from the beginning. He wants you to know his mind. He wants you to know his will. Why does this book remain closed sitting on your coffee table or in your locker at work? If you and I grasp the doctrine of inspiration, there's not an hour in the day when we're not thinking, when can I get to the book? This book is a different book because it's God-breathed. And if it's God-breathed, it is invested with the authority of God himself there. If it's the only book you cannot disagree with. And if it is God's word, then heaven and earth will pass away, but it won't pass away. Can you let a day pass without getting to it and allowing it to get in you, instructing you in righteousness, correcting and reproving you, showing you the great and exceeding promises of God. Since I was a young Christian, I've enjoyed the writings of Harry Ironside, former pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. He was a man of the people. There was an earthiness to his writing and his preaching. There was an accessibility to his exposition. He was a man of the people, and he was a man of the book. I've got many of his commentaries. His ministry was one of Bible exposition. You know, he was encouraged by his mother to memorize many parts of the Bible starting at the age of three. By the age of 14, he had read through his Bible 14 times. How are you doing? In fact, it is said that during the rest of his life, he read the Bible through at least once a year. Asked one morning by a fellow pastor what he had read for his devotions, he replied, the book of Isaiah. That's challenging, man. And so when Gary Enrig in his book on Judges shared this story, I was convicted, and I think you'll be convicted. The last time Harry Ironside preached at Dallas Theological Seminary, he was almost blind. His wife was with him. In fact, she got up and read the text of Isaiah from which he could preach because he could hardly see the text. And he would expound God's Word now, we have just articulated that he was a lifelong student of God's Word, and he was a great avid reader of books on the Bible. And yet it is said that during that final lecture, he held his Bible up in his hand, and he said this, Man, I wish I had read other books less, and this book more. It's true, because this is a different book. This is the only book you can't disagree with. You can read books and disagree with them. You can't read this book and disagree with it. Because it's invested with the authority of God. And in it, you'll find God's eternal plan for history and God's particular plan for you. And it all rises and falls in what you're going to do with the Lord Jesus. You've got to make this book first and foremost in your life. That's what it means to believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, in our mind's eye, we can... Imagine the trembling hand of that old man, Harry Ironside, 
with a voice cracked with age, he says to these young preachers, Men, I wish I'd read other books less and read this book more. Lord, we can do the math. This guy probably read through your word cover to cover over 60 times in a lifetime, mastered it, and yet there's a sense that he's only waded waist deep into the glory of its message and the depths of its truths. Oh God, help us to commit ourselves to read and treasure and understand the book, to look for your Son in the sacred page, and then to experience Him through it and beyond it by the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit who authored the story. Help us to be serious students of the Bible. Help us to read and comprehend with all the saints the love of God. Help us, as Luther did, to shake every branch on its tree. Oh, God, forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us for watching trashy movies, fictional books, when the Word of God lies closed, gathering dust, and our souls are parched, and time means more to us than eternity. Oh, God, make us men of the book. Help us to commit ourselves to it as Paul encourages Timothy to do, for it is profitable. It is useful. And it will indeed make us wise unto salvation, and it will make us complete and equipped in every good work. And these things we pray, and these things we ask, humbly, contritely, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, amen. You're listening to Know the Truth, the conclusion of a first part of a message titled The Good Book. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for part two. If you'd like to replay today's lesson or hear another, we've made all of Philip's sermons easy to find at ktt.org and on the KTT app and podcast. Well, right now, we want to take a moment to express our gratitude to our loyal listeners. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to share the gospel with a world in need of truth so that believers can steer clear of dangerous and deceptive teaching and access solid Bible teaching that strengthens and properly equips for life storms. As a listener-supported program, your donations make this possible. As you support Know the Truth, your donations cover the many costs it takes to plan, produce, and distribute this Bible teaching program, both on the radio and the Internet. And this month, we'd like to invite you to partner with us by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These faithful supporters give a monthly automated gift to Know the Truth and receive exclusive benefits in turn. You can learn more by calling 888-644-8811 or by visiting ktt.org. And when you donate, you'll receive Living by God's Promises, a book that will help you deepen your Christian life by drawing from stellar Puritan treatises on divine promises from God. It features powerful revelations by Andrew Gray, Edward Lee, and William Spurstow, offering them in contemporary language for today's readers. It's a book you'll want to reread and share with others. Also, when you become a Truth Ambassador, you'll receive the brand new Know the Truth shirt as a practical reminder of your important role in this ministry. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org today. And one more thing, 
If you're new to Know the Truth, we have a free gift for you titled Resting in God's Daily Sufficiency. You can learn more and request your copy at ktt.org. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Philip kicks off part two of today's lesson by revealing four proofs of the Bible's divine inspiration. That's Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Music